You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr. Richard Clark. We are going completely against the grain of the way it's been done. And so that can be challenging. And I probably, if I was another baseball traditionalist owner, I probably would not like me either. The owner shouldn't be in a yellow tuxedo running around the field, uh, taking selfies with fans, having players dance, breakdancing, first base coach, celebrations, players playing in kilts during games, which we do every year. Uh, Of course, I would not like this other one who's making a mockery of the game. But what I argue is that we're making more fans every single day. The fact that we open every season with all green uniforms because we're not quite right. That's very strategic. All right. The fact that we have all yellow uniforms is very strategic. The fact that we have Dolce and Banana underwear with a giant banana and a small banana on each crotch. And I'll tell you, the big banana outsells the small banana dramatically. Everything is intentionality to get people to say, you know, these guys are fun and we want to talk about them. Don't just say you're for the fans and then every day you're trying to make more sales calls and drive more revenue. Do more things for the fans without actually wanting anything in return other than just to give to them. That's when you really put it in your organization, and that's when all the sales and everything else will take care of itself. And we've seen it. Hi, and welcome to Sports Content Strategy. My name is Richard Clark. My guest this time is Jesse Cole. He's the founder of Fan First Entertainment and the owner of a very minor minor league baseball team called the Savannah Bananas. He's taken them from crowds of a couple of hundred to 4,000 sellouts every time they play and they are pretty much the hottest ticket in Savannah, Georgia. He's done it by, well, being inspired by people like Walt Disney and P.T. Barnum. He also wears a yellow tuxedo to the office every day. This guy is a showman and he puts on a show for his public. This includes dancing players. This includes the Savannah Nanas. Basically, a load of old-age pensioners doing cheerleading. It's fantastic stuff. It's very different, and there's a lot to learn for people who are doing the same thing every week and getting the same result. Jesse's taken the opposite approach to that. He has tried to stand out. He doesn't spend any money on marketing, pretty much. He's trying to take out all advertising and all sponsorship. He wants the fans to be central to everything that he puts on. And as you'll find out, he's a real, real entertainer. This podcast is brought to you by IFBI. They put on courses for wannabe sports executives and established sports executives. Go to ifbi.brussels for more details. If you want to contact me, my name is Mr. Richard Clark, as I said, and go to mrrichardclark.com, my website, to find out what I do and sign up to my newsletter, listen to more podcasts or read my blog. Anyway, enough of that. I'm sure you want to meet Jesse Cole. I called him just on a normal day and he was in a yellow suit. That's never happened to me before. But anyway, here he is. Jesse Cole, I'm the founder of Fans First Entertainment and the owner of the Savannah Bananas. And the Savannah Bananas, or Bananas as we say in England, um, tell me who they are and your role in taking over the club. Sure. Well, we are one of the lowest levels of baseball there is. So if you know Major League Baseball up on the top and they have minor leagues, you know, triple A, double A, single A, rookie ball, low A, independent baseball, top level college baseball. We're below that. We are college summer baseball. But our story is we uh, took over where a professional baseball team was here in Savannah, Georgia, that was failing. And no one was coming to the games. And we came here with hopes of making it successful. And we perceived, we failed immediately. We literally sold two tickets in our first three months. It was so bad because we were doing things like everyone else. But then we went 
all in on the fans' first experience, all in on creating attention, named the team the Savannah Bananas, came up with a senior citizen dance team called the Banana Nanas, had a male cheerleading team called the Mananas, and made it a circus. And now, fortunately, we've sold out every single game and have a wait list for tickets in the thousands. So it's been a fun little store, a fun little ride, and we're going to continue to innovate and ask, how do we make the game more fun? And this isn't a podcast, it's a podcast, but if it were, in fact, I'm just going to grab a little screen grab now because I want to see... I want a picture of you and I talking because for the people listening, um, well, you, you describe it. What are you wearing? What the hell are you wearing is the better question. What the hell are you I, wearing? <laughs> I am always in a full yellow tuxedo and yellow top hat. I own seven of these. I proposed to my wife in front of a sold out crowd in this. She actually said yes. I wear it all the time. It's my uniform for me. When I put it on, it means it's showtime. And we're always on stage here at our ballpark. And every day it's a show. Because you don't do games you do shows right yes yes we're not in the baseball business we're 1000 percent in the entertainment business just to take my screen grab okay so um why is that why is that i mean you, you you say you're in in the entertainment business but this is very much lessons that you've learned from the previous club you owned you've brought them here and made them a success through a heck of a lot of work trial and error but but a certain attitude a certain approach yeah, well, he failed. I was a 23-year-old GM of a team in Gastonia, North Carolina. And how do you become a GM at 23? It's the worst team in the entire country. 200 fans coming to the games, $268 total in the bank account. And I went out in the community, and I tried to get people to come to the games and said, we don't like baseball. It's too long. It's too slow. It's too boring. We don't like baseball. We don't like baseball. And I said, well, people keep saying they don't like baseball. There's a problem. And myself, Richard, I, I played baseball, and I love playing but I can't watch it. It's too boring. And I play it. I understand what's going on. So I said, well, how can we appeal to more people and make it different? And I said, well, I went to the owner. I said, why don't we be an entertainment company? And he's like, what are you talking about? I go, we're going to make it a circus and a baseball game will break out. He goes, what are you talking about? I go, I don't know. What if our players did choreographed dances? What if we had grandma beauty pageants? What if we had flatulence fun nights? What if we made it all about the show and not about the baseball? And he didn't fire me. He said, I guess we got nothing to lose. And I was so fortunate at 23, I started trying the most ridiculous things and fans started coming. They started talking about us. It's not remarkable anymore, a baseball game, you know, a double, a strikeout, even no hitters happen regularly now. What is remarkable is the unique things that you've never seen before. And that's what we're always trying to create at our ballpark. And you have this approach, attention beats marketing, right? You don't have a marketing director. You don't have virtually a marketing budget, right? So it's about attention. You're not going to market. You're just going to create the show around it to create buzz, right? Yeah, well, right up your alley in the content model. When we came to Savannah, you know, we were like everyone else. We were marketing like everyone else. Newspaper, radio, we were spending pointless money and we sold two tickets. And it wasn't until we started, all right, how do we create attention? And it started with naming the team after a fruit. We're the only team in the world named after a fruit that I know of. And it was ridiculous, but it was key to have, how does that brand extend? Name the mascot, split. You know, have the Banana Nana Senior Citizen Dance Team. Come out to a music video to Can't Stop the Peeling by Justin Timberlake. We kept thinking about all these things, Banana in the Pants promotions, Frozen Bananas. And when you start playing with that, people start talking. And so from offering the former president out here, Obama internship with us, to uh, adopt uh, renting a pig and mocking the other team called the Make and Bacon, to coming out with underwear called Dolce and Banana Underwear. We actually sell underwear. Everything we do is how do you create attention? And that's what gets people talking. But you also simplified your offering, didn't you? Because $15 a ticket, all you can eat, all you can drink, right? Because there was concern about 
fans get stung on the extras, right? Yeah. Well, if you want real innovation, we learn you start with what are the biggest friction points in your industry. And so if you look at baseball, the first one was long, slow and boring. So we haven't fixed the long yet, but we fixed the slow and the boring. We made it exciting by adding all these other sideshows. The next friction point is you get nickel and dimed. Anybody that goes to any ballpark, you know what it's like. It's eight bucks for a burger, seven bucks for a hot dog, 10 bucks for a beer. I go, that's terrible. No one wants to pull money out of their pockets. And great companies that we've learned from, like Disney and the cruise industry have learned from this. That's why I wear, literally right now, you can see I'm wearing a Disney magic band. Uh, we surprised our whole team with a trip to Disney before the whole virus took over. And um, for me, it reminds me just constantly think of innovation and what's best for the customer. So we said what's best for the customer, our fan, is to have every ticket include all your food and all your soda. Everything, burgers, hot dogs, chicken sandwiches, soda, water, popcorn, dessert, chips, you name it. And it was $15 when we launched it. And it was like, fans were like, wow. And so that's how we look at everything. And that's why we don't charge shipping uh, domestically. That's why we have no ticket fees, no convenient fees. And it's why we eliminated advertising from our entire stadium. When you start with your customer in mind and you eliminate those friction points, I think that's when you get people talking about you even more. It's reliant on bums on seats, though, isn't it? In that environment, you've got to fill that stadium all the time, right? And, you've, and it's, what, 4,000 as a sellout now? Is it 4,000? Yeah, yeah, yeah 4,000 yeah. seats. So, yeah. And you've sold out the last 80 games, is it? Something like that? It was more than that. We sold, out, we sold out every game the last three seasons. There was actually only five games in the history of the franchise our first year that weren't sold out. So every game is sold out. Right, but, that, but that's a... A specific strategy because if you're taking away other sources of income, you're making the, the the price cheaper. You're taking away those extras. You are gambling your your business model on getting cheeks in the seats, as they say. Well, who do, who's our responsibility? I think so many teams when they get lots of sponsorship money, TV rights money, all this other things, they're they're focusing on taking care of them. Our name of our company is Fans First Entertainment. Our mission is fans first, entertain always. Every decision we make is it fans first. In meetings, we have a chair that represents a fan. All right, Every decision we make is putting them first. And so when you focus all on that, yes, why don't we make everything for them and not try to take all these other potential revenue sources when it takes away potentially from the fan experience? And I'll tell you, if you've been to a, an arena or a ballpark and all you hear is ads, 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 announcements, and you see them everywhere, that doesn't add to the fan experience. And so for us, it, it's not a model that's going to be replicated. You know, uh, not many teams are going to follow it, but it works for us because we are able to sell out every single game and we have a wait list for tickets in the thousands. And I'm right in thinking that in the years to come or next year, I think it may be, you are perhaps going to do away with sponsorship with partners. Is that right? Oh, we already have. You already have. Sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah, it's it's yeah. We announced it on February 25th, uh, 2020, this past year. And uh that, that timing was actually on purpose. We announced the name of the team on February 25th, 2016. So that's always a big day for us. But yeah, there's zero ads, zero partners, zero sponsors. It's all about the fan. Everything is for the fan. That decision in February 2016 to call the team Savannah Bananas, just tell me the process behind that and not only the mechanism, but your thought process because it's tremendously brave because so much hangs off that one decision, right? Yeah. Well, uh, again, like many teams have done, you know, with the name of the company, Fans First Entertainment, we did a uh, name the team contest to all people in the community. We got about a thousand suggestions. But I said very intentionally, I said, we want something dramatically different, something unique, something fun, something that, you know, and I said that and we got 999 that weren't like that. <laughs> we got 999 that were the sailors, the ports, the anchors, the Braves, 
all typical names. Um, and then we got one that was bananas. And I remember I looked at it and I talked to my our partners and our staff and I said, guys, this could be crazy. We started thinking of all the wild ideas and said, we're gonna get criticized. We're gonna get completely criticized, but that's okay. If you're not getting criticized, then you're not doing anything at all. And I believe you need to embrace criticism. If no one's talking about you in a controversial way, then you're just playing it safe completely and you're just, eh. You know, what's the worst word in customer service, customer experience? It's not, that was terrible, it's actually fine. If you just go to a restaurant, it's like, eh, it was fine. It was fine. That's what we didn't want to be. We didn't want to be in the middle. We wanted to be uh, polarizing to an extent. And so when we named the team, yeah, we got crucified locally. I mean, you guys are an embarrassment to the city. You'll never sell a ticket. The owner should be thrown out of town. You name it, we heard it. And we saved everyone. And a year later, once all the games sold out, we did a mean tweet video. And most of those people who said those tough comments were ended up being season ticket holders, <laughs> which is very ironic. So, um, but yeah, it's very intentional. You know, the name, the brand, I, uh, you know, I, excuse my language, but I, I told our designer, I go, I want a badass banana. We don't want it, we don't want it to be a banana that's going to be like, you know, really mean, mugging, fired up. We don't want this wussy banana because it's just, it's playing on those two things. So it was very strategic. The fact that we open every season with all green uniforms because we're not quite right. That's very strategic. All right. The fact that we have all yellow uniforms is very strategic. The fact that we have Dolce and Banana underwear with a giant banana and a small banana on each crotch. And I'll tell you, the big banana outsells the small banana dramatically. Everything is intentionality to get people to say, you know, that these guys are fun and we want to talk about them. And not only links with with that decision over the um, the name change, it it. Is, is the fact that the franchise that were previously there were kind of historic, right? That they'd been there a long time. They had a lot of history. They just didn't have a lot of fans. Is that is that fair to say? So that change was all the greater for that reason. Yeah, 100%. So there was professional baseball here for 90 years. Babe Ruth played here. Hank Aaron played here. You name it. Ted Williams. The best players in the world played at the stadium. But it got to a point where it was just so traditional, so bored, so taken for granted Um by, I'm gonna say first, the, the staffs and the teams. It was like, hey, we have a stadium, we have a baseball team, we hope you come. And as someone who came to a few games before the team left, I sat there and I was like, I'm really bored. It's just, it's just, hey, there's a baseball game going on. So that professional baseball at a higher level, it just wasn't putting the fans first. And so for us, it was like, you know, when we come in, it doesn't matter, we're not the highest level. We're not gonna be the best baseball team in the world, but we're gonna have the most fun. We're gonna be the most entertaining. And again, it's that clarity. And here's the irony in this. Um, we had a professor at a local university study the team and because I always say, hey, we just play better because we're having fun because of the culture. And I realized that we've won more games than any team in our league for four straight years. It's, you know, we won a championship, always go to the playoffs. And he's like, there's no way. So he studied the players, their, their statistics of playing with us and playing in, in the summer and playing in college. And then he studied all the other teams playing for them in the summer and playing in their colleges. And there was only one team that showed a strong correlation that said, you know what? You play better in the summer. By putting on a bananas uniform, being a part of this culture, you play better. And so for us, we don't focus on the baseball. We focus on the fun, the experience. And what happens? The performance takes care of itself. And I think that's so important. As you know, if you love what you're doing every day, you're going to be better at it. But everyone's like, you know, let's just focus on the, you know, the, the, the strategy behind everything we're doing. No, find something you love, have fun, and focus on making that a great experience. And then all of a sudden, the performance will just, you know, stockpile from there. Because you've got your players dancing in the middle of games. You've got your first base coach dancing as well? 
<laughs> you know your you know your stuff, Rich. I'm I'm impressed. Yeah, so we have breakdancing first base coach, senior citizen dance team, pep band, male cheerleading team. The players go on dates with fans during the games. The players do conga lines during the games. I mean, you name it. The players deliver roses to little girls during the games. Our our players are you like this too? You know, in boxing they used to have like the ring girls that go around and show like what inning or what round it is. In the ninth inning, we call them the ring dudes, and our players get on the dugouts and rip their jerseys off and are actually telling everyone it's the ninth inning, uh, and fans actually throw money at them. It's very, very weird and uh, not right in so many ways. But they have the time of their life doing this. And when they're having the time of their life doing it, it's just they want to play better, and they, they, they do play better. What's your, what's your coach's attitude? Because in, in the UK, this stuff always jars. I, I've worked in, in, in America. I've worked yeah. in America, and it's a very different attitude. I'd been, uh, 1983, I was at a, an Arsenal game as a kid and we had cheerleaders in, right? We had yeah. cheerleaders in and it was like a one-off. I think it was yeah. an American uh, company got involved or something. It was a one-off. Yeah. And I actually got booed to a certain extent. There was, there was a bit of novelty about it, but I actually got booed to a certain extent. It doesn't always go down very well because we've got sport over here and we've got yes. entertainment over there. And yes. the theory is, it doesn't matter what happens, if your sports team wins... Everything's gonna be okay, and you're coming from the opposite angle here, right? So, yeah. but 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 I know you said your performance is generally is is good and it's improved so statistically. But you've got to have a coach that's on board with this, and also what does he do to say, okay, fine, we have to have fun, but here's the serious bit. So, does he block off time? Does he make space for himself? Uh, so this is a great uh, a great topic here. Um, very intentional on the coaches that we bring on. There's so many coaches who could never coach in this organization. And we're, we're, we're aware of that. And so like even in the, when we hired our second coach, because um, we had them all do videos, everyone application, you better put a video of bringing the enthusiasm, bringing the energy, because we film everything. So a lot of coaches are like, no, I don't want to be on video. I don't want to do this. So then we were intentional. All right, this is who we are. It's a show. It's a circus. And then the questions are, well, how can we mix it? And our newest coach over the last few years, Tyler Gillum, he said he calls it flip the switch. And so he has a script for players inside the locker room. And basically it's, it's red and it's green. And so the red is baseball and then the green is entertainment. And the guys are very clear on when they need to do it, but you need to flip the switch from entertainment to flip the switch to baseball. And it's just like any, any athlete, you know, you know what time you got to practice, where you got to be, how you got to do it, your weightlifting, et cetera. It's the same thing between entertainment and the games. And so literally when our gates open at 530, there's six players out at the gates. That's part of the entertainment. You know, you're greeting fans, taking pictures, doing autographs, and it goes on throughout the entire game. And our head coach wears cowboy boots every single game. He's from Ada, Oklahoma. He wrote, wrote a horse in our Old Town Road music video. It starts from the top. And as you're talking to a guy in a yellow tuxedo as the owner of the team, if I'm all professional and I'm all serious and I'm all win at all costs, it's all about winning, 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 winning then all of a sudden that becomes the most important thing. What we talk about, guys, we want this to be the most fun you've ever had playing, but we also want you to deliver experience to the fans that they've never had before. And that's why guys come up with ideas. Our players come up with the ideas. When a kid asks for an autograph, they said, only if I can have yours first. And our players get autographs of kids all over their sleeves and their hats. And that didn't come from the top, that came from the players because they understand it's about fans first. And our guys, I just talked to our catcher for three years. He goes, man, I'm so excited to get back into fans first, man. I'm so excited. You know, at our, at our colleges, you know, we don't have any fans. We don't get to do that. But I'm excited to get back out there and give to the fans. So, again, you got to have a coach that's all in, understand what matters most. And the guys aren't going to remember at the end of the season, like, a couple doubles, a couple singles, a couple strikeouts. They're going to remember that moment with the kid 
they're going to remember that moment where they sat on the field with fireworks, where you pick a kid from the crowd and they get to sit with the, the, the kid. Those are the moments they'll remember. So that's that's what we talk about all the time. But, but Okay, so it's interesting because I understand because I've been researching you for a couple of days, right? So I know <laughs> what, what goes on. But, but it's interesting because I come from a, a world that's got a different head yes. on its shoulders. So are your players particularly aspirant to go forward in the game of baseball you know what's your what criteria are you hiring a coach under i know they've got to be an extrovert i know they've got to bring it but there's also going to be a technical side to put on a game of baseball that's of quality 100 percent. it's a great question you know when you look at how important soccer is all over the world or football is all over the world it's win or lose and people will march to the stadium if they lose it's devastation i understand that and you know for us it's just not who we are um, and we're clear on that. So, you know, to answer your question, I think our, our coach um, understands the game very, very well. And our players all have aspirations to play professionally. And to give you an idea, I mean, we've had a first rounder, a second rounder, a fourth rounder, a fifth rounder. We've had lots of bananas get drafted. Um, and a lot has helped because they played better this summer. Um, so they have those dreams, but they also understand, hey, it's summer ball. They're playing college summer baseball with us. It's not the end of the world. And, and so uh, if they can have a little fun, a little freedom, they understand that's important as well. So, you know, again, it's very, very different. This isn't, this isn't, you know, the major leagues. And to be honest with you, I have no interest in being the major leagues. If everything you do is win at all costs, that takes away the fun, that takes away the journey, that takes away what it's all about. And I believe, which we've seen over four years, the winning takes care of itself if you focus on the other things. Let's talk about your hiring policy for staff. What do you ask them to do? Because your staff have got to have a certain character too. It's, it's clear. <laughs> yeah, we tried a lot of things over the years and we're continuing to learn. But uh, yeah, we have a three-step hiring process. You know, we make it a fun application and then you got to send a video cover letter. Again, we want to know who you are, what, you know, what energy you bring, the type of person that you fit in our culture. Number two, we ask uh, for a fan's first essay, how you fit our six core beliefs. And number three, we ask for your future resume. So we're not necessarily interested in what you've done in the past. We want to know what you want to do in the future. And that's important to us. And, you know, we're very intentional. We had our interns just start the other day. Um, it's mapped. We want the first day to be an unbelievable first day. I mean, we have uh, surprises. We're all in costume. They greet them. We have a, a special breakfast for them that we have. We, we take them on tours. They get to interact with everyone. We have games at the end of the day where it's like a scavenger hunt. And they're playing like for our staff, like fun is such an important thing that when you start, we want to make sure that first day is memorable. The same thing we do for our fans. When they show up to their first game, what are they going to say? And for us, as you know, has been in the business, you know, every game is someone's first game. But also, every person that works for you, they're going to only have one first day. They're only going to have one first time interacting with you. They're going to see their first game for the first time. How is it for them? And so we map that, and we have a fan's first director, Marie, who's outstanding at it. We map everything on how that experience is. And I would challenge a lot of sports teams Many don't map the experience for the fan or the customer at all, but very few map it for their people. And we've had to evolve to that because we realize that we need our people to be the biggest fans of our company, even more important. And we talk about the three loves. You gotta love your customers more than your product, but you gotta love your people, your team, even more than your customers. And so, and the third love is to get to love yourself to be your best, but that's what we focus on and that's kind of built our culture. Let's just go back into the um Director of First Impressions, because I've, I've never heard of that role before, but I think it's fantastic. I really do. Uh, because you're right, it is so important. So many, in my world of football, soccer, um, so many fans are, well, that was the first club I heard of, so that's who I support. Or my dad supported them, he took me to a game, so that's who I support. Um, yes. Your Director of First Impressions, so 
just dig down deeper into that role. What does it entail? Obviously, first arrival, but you know, how are they get is it first impression on social media? Is it first impression at the at the gate? Is it first impression in the seat? Is it first impression at the end of the game, or is it everything like that? Sure, that position was evolved from a, a young intern named Kiki who was very, very shy when she started with us. So you never think of a director of first impressions as shy, but she was extremely shy. And um, it was halfway through her internship, the first season. And I could tell she just had this buzz about her, big smile, but she just was very shy and reserved. And so we challenged her. We said, Kiki, um, can, you, uh, can you sell beer tonight at tonight's game? She goes, sell beer? I go, yes, just like sell beer, but I need you to be animated. She goes, what do you mean? I go, I don't know, just yell beer here, beer here, get your beer. She's like, Okay, I'll try my best. And it was halfway through the game that all of a sudden I heard, coming through the concourse, I turned the corner and I heard, get tipsy with Kiki. And she's literally yelling this out to the fans. And there's a huge line. It was the most beer we've ever sold from a station. It was the most tips anywhere I ever got. And I said, Kiki, what was that all about? She goes, oh, I was just having fun. I go do that all the time. And so all of a sudden, Kiki said, she, Kiki jumped up in front as an intern, started answering the phone singing, Savannah, banana, this is Kiki. She started greeting people when they walked in, and she became our director of first impressions and started overseeing our staff. So uh, Kiki was great. Now, Kiki just uh, recently had an opportunity and moved on, but I was so glad she was a big part of our team. But she was in charge of literally when people show up to our stadium in the offseason, answering the phones, and one of those first big smiles that you would see was from Kiki. So I think you have a great point there. I think director of first impressions moving forward, um, yeah, it's what does your website look like? What does your social media look like? How, what is the, what is the phone? How is the phone answered? How it's, it's everything. And so a lot of times people think the first impression is when you walk up to the stadium. No, you're way past the first impression at that time. And it's why even on our voicemail, we have a singing voicemail. Savannah, na, na, na. You've reached the Savannah, bananas, na, na, na. Because people call in other hours. We want that to be fun. It's why our hold music is ring, 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 banana phone. Like it, people actually call us and say, can you put me on hold? It's the weirdest thing because they want to hear the songs. So yeah, I, I think our whole team thinks like that. It's not just one person's responsibility. Our whole team thinks about when is that first interaction that we have and how do we make it remarkable? Yeah, people would argue that that, that is what, what a head of brand does, but it isn't. A head of first impression is a much better title because it's so important to hook them early on. And I think it is almost a, I don't, you wouldn't like this. Knowing you, you'd, I was gonna say a funnel, but you'd make it a cone being you because you like <laughs> to flip things around, right? Um, <laughs> But but it is it is almost like that first impression take them further down the funnel in terms of how can you attract people. Um, but just getting back to to uh, Kiki, I was going to ask you, can an introvert excel in your company? Now you've kind of answered that, but I would argue, did Kiki is she an introvert who pretended to be an extrovert or became an extrovert? Can a, an introvert stay an introvert and work in a company like yours? I've never answered the question this way, and it's, I've got asked it a lot, but you know, thinking about it, um, how many actors are introverts? There's probably a good deal of actors out there that are introverts. But when the camera comes on, they can become anyone that they want to be. And the reality is, yes, I'm an extrovert, but when I put on this yellow tuxedo, I take it up a notch. I amplify who I am. So yes, I think when you're in front of your fans, in front of your customers, being uh, an introvert and not being on stage, not being fully present for them, 
I think is a is a, not the right service that you should be giving. It's not right. So to answer your question, yes, I mean we had uh, another young intern just hired three months ago. His name's Austin, and um, he's <laughs> he's a shy kid. He's a shy kid, but he was hired because he fit a role, and our staff was very excited about bringing him on. And I met with him the first day, and I say, Austin, do you have any ideas for this team? Do you have any ideas? And, and he said, yeah, you know, I love how you call every fan and thank them. I think it's really cool that we do that, but they're not as fun. It's just a kind of a thank you, hope you go bananas, et cetera. I go, well, what do you have in mind, Austin? And Austin, granted, 22-year-old intern, he goes, well, I think it could be a, uh, it could be a rap. I go, a rap? He was like, yeah, like, like, you know, like a rap, like a real fun musical rap. I go, I love it. He goes, oh, cool. I go, you'll do one by the end of the day. And he goes, what? He turned all beat red. And I go, yeah, it's your idea, man. Own it. Do one by the end. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm, 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 I'm socially awkward. I, you know, I'll be uncomfortable. I can't do it. I go, perfect. You'll be Austin, the awkward bananas rapper. That's, that's who you can become. And he's like, okay. So the whole day he was writing down raps, just working on it, going to people. It's like, is this okay? Is this okay? At four o'clock, I said, Austin, you got to make the rap. So four o'clock, he calls a fan who bought merchandise and said, uh, hey, this is Austin, the awkward bananas rapper. I'm here to fill your day with fun, joy, and laughter. I hope you enjoy your amazing merch and love this awesome perch. And he starts making this ridiculous rap. And at the end, the guy goes, huh, thanks, man. And Austin turns to me and goes, it worked. I go, what was the worst thing that was going to happen? And all of a sudden now he writes raps and he does raps for our fans. And he leaves voicemails doing thank you raps. And he is self-proclaimed very awkward and uncomfortable. But all of a sudden he started doing this because of his role that he was playing to make a great experience for a fan. And now he's Austin, the awkward bananas rapper. So my point here is that I think anybody, whether you're introverted or not, how do you want to be? When you're, when you're, put yourself in your fan's shoes or your customer's shoes. When you're greeted by someone, do you want someone that's really just shy and, hey, how you doing? Or do you want someone to actually be excited to see you? You know, there's a difference there. So I think you need to be on stage, which we say we're always on stage. Every game, someone's first game. And I think the introvert, no matter who you are, when you're in front of fans, you got to bring out the extrovert, even if you don't have it. You talked about your three idols. You talked about this a lot. P.T. Barnum, I get that entirely. Walt Disney, I get that entirely. I've never heard of Bill Veek. Who's Bill Veek? And and why is he your your uh, idol or, or one of your idols? Yes, it's it's Bill Veck. and. No, it's fine. It's not an easy name. Um, I got turned on to him uh, when I first started the industry. So he was a famous baseball owner in the 50s and 60s and 70s. Not that famous because baseball wasn't, you know, it wasn't known all over. But and he was hated. He was hated by every other owner. He was a guy that literally would give away 12 live lobsters to a fan during a game. He was a fan. He was an owner that in 1946, owning the St. Louis Browns, he let the entire stadium dictate the fans what was going to happen during the game. So I'll give you an example. The owner, the, the coach was put into the stands in a rocking chair in a major league game. And they had all of these name uh, plates that they gave out said yes or no. And someone would stand on the dog and say, should we bunt? And based on how many yeses came up in the grandstand, they would actually bunt. It was called this, is, grand- this is a major league. It's a major this league game. This is a major league baseball game. Look up grandstand managers, uh, grandstand managers game. And the fans got to manage a game. Talking about being ahead of your time, are you kidding me? As we talk right now, how can we get our fans more involved and make more decisions? He was doing this in 1946. It was brilliant. 
So to give you a context, so he was so innovative, everything he did, he uh, would sit with the fans. He actually had a midget come up to bat in a major league game and walk on four pitches. It created unbelievable attention. He would do giveaways that you never even imagined. He was the first one to come up with uh, fireworks on the scoreboard. He did all the, he put names on the back. He had players playing shorts. He did all these things. And uh, um, I think the way he thought about the fans, I've always been a big follower of his. And again, he wasn't loved, but he was loved by the fans. And I think that's important. Do you feel you're not loved by the other owners in the other teams? No, not at all. And I actually know that. I mean, it's it's uh, because we are going completely against the grain of the way it's been done. And so that can be challenging. And I probably, if I was another baseball traditionalist owner, I probably would not like me either. The owner shouldn't be in a yellow tuxedo running around the field, uh, taking selfies with fans, having players dance, breakdancing, first base coach, celebrations, players playing in kilts during games, which we do every year. Uh, of course, I would not like this other one who's making a mockery of the game. But what I argue is that we're making more fans every single day. And what's the big goal of an owner is to create more baseball fans and create a better experience. So that's uh, that's how it is. What do all position players feel like or say when they come to your stadium because there must be some of that attitude that pervades the opposition teams when they arrive and they're not part of the show right no oh yeah the other t- some love us some uh some don't like us as much but most people love playing in front of a sold out crowd uh, i'll tell you that so that's that's one advantage but yeah i mean we have a donut hitter every night we pick out a guy on the other team if he strikes out everyone in the stadium gets a donut and so literally the whole stadium is chanting donut Donut. So imagine hitting with two strikes. You have 4,000 people chanting at you, donut, to strike out. Is it Bush League? Probably a little bit. But I'll I'll never forget a guy for the Gastonia Grizzlies, which used to be our former team. Uh, He struck out, and everyone won donuts. The place erupted cheering, and he literally tips his hat to, to the whole stadium to thank them. Like It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. So some guys actually embrace the show and play and have fun with it. And I'll tell you, a lot of the guys... They say, how do I play here next year? Your Gastonia Grizzlies team, they had like 200 fans when you were involved with the team as opposed to 4,000. So how much is your operation, your fans, your turnover greater than your average team in the in the CPL, isn't it, your league, the CPL? Oh, yeah. I mean, if you look at the average you know, real attendance in any team in the league, it's probably 500 to 750 per game and we're over 4,000 so yeah it's 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 dramatic but um but it's you know it's okay we're not you know they're uh they have their own focuses that they're doing we're solely focused on how do we get more fans to experience our product that's it are you in profit because obviously you've taken away certain revenue gaining uh platform uh, platforms or planks that that would be normally be there and you've thrown it all into fan experience which has absolutely worked because you've sold out the stadium but there's a quid pro quo there, isn't there? So are you in profit? Yes, we're very fortunate. We've been uh, tremendously profitable since we started. And, and you know, the question you got to look at is, well, what are we not spending money on? We don't spend any money on marketing. So if you think a lot of people that spend 5, 10, 50% on market, we're not spending money on that. You know, we don't spend, uh, because of our buying power, we're able to get our food at a great deal. You know, we realize the all you can eat is a great model. So there's there's certain things that do work very, very well. But yeah, we've cut things that, could be even more profitable. Sponsorship, events, we're not doing that. We're leaning in on what we can be the best at. And uh, hopefully time will tell that if you continue to do what you're really, really good at and get better at it over and over again, then that will grow even bigger than trying all these other little side projects that may actually take away from your brand and who you are. Just tell me about 
I mean, and we've talked about it a little bit, but just tell me further about how you create the right culture amongst your staff. Well, it's intentionality. I think for, it, it's a deep question. It's a good question. How do you build a culture? I think it, it's got to start with um, what do you want to be known for? Who are you? What do you stand for? And you got to talk about it over and over again. Uh, the greatest leaders are repeatable. So we would say fans first. I would say <laughs> every few minutes around our stadium. We're constantly talking about that. So when it's very clear what we're trying to do, we don't talk about profit. We don't talk about money, even during this virus. And it's devastating. You know, we're going to play, you know, at 50 percent capacity if, if, if we're allowed to. I mean, there's it's a dramatic hit. But what we're not we're talking about is what can we do more for our fans? And so and what can we do more for our people? My wife, give you an example, like as soon as we shut down the offices, the first thing she said, all right, let's go grocery shopping for our team. And we'll drop off food at every one of their houses. And we spent an entire day bringing food to all their houses. We wrote thank you letters to their family and their spouses and their other people. So, you know, it has to start from the top. It has to you have to be very clear what you stand for. And it's not necessarily what's best for your employees uh, as employees. It's what's best for them as people. And so what I mean by that, it's like so many people, so many business owners ask, you know, what can my employee do for me? What can they do for me? Like, no, what can you do for them as people? And so like we've done love language tests, Enneagram tests, things just to help them help self-discovery. It has nothing to do necessarily on what they're going to do better for the business. It's just helping them grow. It's why we pay everyone on our staff to read. We have Better Book Club, which is a great platform that everyone on our staff gets paid uh, 50 bucks, 75 bucks to read a book. We've given away thousands of dollars for people to read. So how are you helping them as people? And when you have very clear on that, then it's clear throughout your entire organization. Yeah, the Better Book Club. Fantastic. I've never heard of that before as well. So you're paying them every time they read a book, they've got to write a report on it. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, yeah, it's a quick. We have four questions, well, four simple questions that we ask everyone. You can adjust that however you want, and uh, yeah, and and because we are growth, growing, and hungry are the two last words of our fans' first way, our core beliefs. And so we got to also, you know, uh, demonstrate that. How are we going to reward growing and hungry? How are we going to put that into our culture? So we do every month. We do a book as a team, which every week we're reading together as a team, and then they also have individual books they can read as well. And I think that's so huge for us is that development. Get the most wanted degree in the football industry. The postgraduate course in international football business prepares young people for an executive career in the beautiful game. This year-long course is operated by IFBI, accredited by the University of Brussels and based in the Belgium capital. Each course is limited to only 20 participants per year and your fee includes six field trips to top European organisations and a host of guest lecturers, including me. There's also a masterclass in international football business designed to help established executives strengthen their strategic thinking. Go to ifbi.brussels for further details or see the link in the show notes. When you started four years ago um, with the Savannah Bananas, you, you had a 24-year-old president and three 22-year-olds. Okay. <laughs> You've done a lot of research. I'm impressed with Yeah, well, <laughs> there you go. I, you know, it's not just made up, all this stuff. No, uh, so you, you, you had young staff very young staff like just out of college staff yeah i understand that it fits with your culture do you hire older people as well i know you got the savannah nanas who are not, i'm not sure they're hired or not but that is one of the greatest things i've seen the savannah nanas <laughs> who are basically uh they are pensionable cheerleaders is that fair to say yeah the banana nanas they're 65 70 plus 75 a few of them and they dance every single game at our ballpark and it's wild that's fantastic but just going back to my question you you've hired a lot of young people do you hire older people as well or are you finding what you want amongst the younger people 
No, it's a great question. I, I, I think uh, when you look at our game day staff, I mean, we have 15 year-round full-time, but we have 150 uh, part-time game day staff. And we definitely have um, older people that are part of that experience. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, what we do, you know, in sports, it's a lot of hours. It's a lot of grind. It's, 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 uh, it's something that we're obviously attracting a lot of younger people at this point. But if there's someone older on the outside that's going to bring an unbelievable, caring attitude, energetic to the fans, we're always open to it. But I think what we we did is we actually interviewed every one of our people and said, uh, who should not work for our company? And it was a very interesting interview. And almost everyone said people that can't deal with change, people that can't deal with, uh, you know, uh, constantly pivoting, moving, experimenting, doing new things like that's who we are. And so you got to be clear on like also who aren't you? And so for us, um, there's a lot of freedom to people that haven't had other work experience. And I mean that in the sense like they're, everyone on our staff except for one person started as an intern. Your first job, you start your culture, you learn it. And so what Nora about, um, I've heard businesses that actually have corporate trauma courses that, that what they literally, they're working for another company and they join their company, they have to teach them how to get away from all the trauma of the way the corporate world was because of the outer experience. And so we have a lot of success. People, they get in our culture, they know what we're about, and then they become full-time. And so uh, that's what's worked for us. And um, I think there is a value to that because people can be trained to care about profit, to care about individualism, and not the greater good a lot with other businesses. And I think that could be uh, scarring. Yeah, I remember going to, uh, there's a place in the southwest of England called the Eden Project, which is huge, huge biodomes. And it was... Uh, done in a, a quarry, it was made out of a quarry in this huge sort of eco area, biodomes and biodiversity and unusual plants and fauna and flora and things like that. And I remember reading the history of it and it's developed by a load of uh, biologists, uh, yes. academic biologists, who then they said, what we did is we ceded power, all our power to 20 somethings. And this was the quote, because they didn't realize it couldn't be done. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there's an element of, of that in what you just said. Yeah, <laughs> um, I think it's a great concept. Yeah, yeah. Just to move on, you've talked, and I wouldn't go into this, but the fact you've, you've talked about it already, you've talked about your background growing up, your parents were divorced, your mother had, had issues, um, uh, your only child as well. How has that molded your character to be the person sitting in front of me at the moment with a yellow tuxedo on talking about doing things differently? Because you've spoken before about a differing motivation. Yeah, I, I think I think for me, yeah, uh, my parents had divorced, only child. My mother had drug issues, and um, I was fighting for love and fighting for the affection um, for my father. And I realized a lot of that I received it uh, when I had success, whether it was success on the baseball field, whether it was success uh, in the classroom. And uh, I was driven, like many of us. If you look back at your childhood, uh, it affects you. It affects why you do some of the things you do. And for me. Um, it was that fight for love and that affection and that drive for success. And if you look at Enneagrams, I'm an Enneagram three, you know, I'm driven by success. And, um, so for me, uh, as far as being different in success, I, I realized that a lot of times success isn't just doing what everyone else does. It's, it's doing something above and beyond something different, um, something that is truly remarkable. And I've shared, you know, numerous times before my favorite part of the game is when the game's over. And that's weird to say, but it's when the game's over because our fans are leaving. We have the live band set up. We're giving away free s'mores. All the players are at the gate thanking the fans, all of our staffs out there. And as we're thanking fans for coming, 
fans are coming up to us and say, that was the most fun I've ever had. Thank you. You brought our family together. You've done this. And it's like, wow, you know, we're feeling the love that I was looking for as a kid. I'm feeling that in from all these other fans who had the same experience. And uh, I'll never forget uh, just a few years ago, uh, a grown man mustache comes up to me after the game and gives me this big bear hug and he doesn't let go. And I'm like, whoa, thanks. Thanks a lot for that. What's that for? He goes, you have no idea. I go, what do you mean? He goes, you have no idea how much these games mean. And I go, okay, thank you. And he's like, no, no, you don't understand. He goes, my mother and I haven't talked for years. But she came out to one of these games early in the season, watched the players dance, watched the male cheerleading team, watched all the fun, and had the time of our life. Now, my mother and I sit together at every single game. You and your games have helped bring our relationship back together. And so when I think about that, it just is really powerful to me to realize why we're doing what we're doing. And that's driven me to bring people together to have fun. And so that's the simplicity of it. And I'm going to keep fighting for that. If I don't feel like we're achieving, we're pushing, we're pushing the love envelope and we're succeeding, um, that drives me to think what's next? What else can we do? So has your father been to a Savannah Bananas game and what does he think of the outfit and the success you've made of it? <laughs> my dad... Uh, uh, my dad never missed a game growing up, so he was always there. And uh, my first game as a 23-year-old GM, he was there. Uh, been our team in Gastonia. He was at the opening night of the Savannah Bananas game. He comes uh, regularly, flies down here and sees the games. And uh, you know, I always look up often and see him just laughing at what we're doing. You know, he's a baseball traditionalist. He owned a baseball facility, so he thinks a lot of it's ridiculous. Um, but I'll never forget two years ago, uh, we had our kilt game. It was our first ever kilt game. And I was the undercover fan that night. So literally, because my dad was coming to the game, I wanted to experience a game with my dad. And so I'm undercover. Fans don't know, you know, I'm, I'm there. And I'm standing there with my dad. We're down 4-1 at the end of the game. The players are playing in kilts. Everyone, the game's over. And we ended up coming back, and it was a walk-off in the kilts. And our players are running around like they just won the World Series. And I'm looking at my dad, looking at me like, oh, like he's going nuts. He couldn't believe it. And we're just looking and shaking each other like, wow. And just to see the ridiculousness of playing a game in kilts, winning and celebrating with my dad. Um, I think that I got to be a fan that day. And I think uh, we all should realize what we're doing. How can we get to be a fan of what we're doing and put ourselves in their shoes? And that's what I got to do with my dad, which is pretty special. What's your content strategy? How do you use your content? Obviously, it's about the game day experience and getting and getting bums on seats, right? So so um, is that the way you use your, co your content to drive into the stadium? No. So actually, no, because, you know, fortunately, our games sell out way in advance. So, you know, we always think, again, no one wakes up in the morning and wants to be sold. No one wakes up in the morning and wants to be advertised to, wants to be marketed to, wants to be promoted. Yet most, you know, businesses, they focus on what can we put out to try to sell things. We focus on what can we put out to entertain fans. And when you entertain fans, they become fans. And they find ways to find, buy from you. So for us, it's mostly merchandise now because tickets are all sold out. So our content strategy is what are we doing to entertain, whether it's music videos with the players, parodies, whether we're doing Facebook Lives, music trivia. We're constantly thinking of that content strategy. And then if something becomes available, a special game, a special event, then all of a sudden, hey, guys, we have this, but we'll put it out in a fun way. We'll share it as a movie trailer that's coming. And fans want to gravitate towards it because we've been giving, 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 giving of entertainment. So just Rich, answer your question. During the coronavirus, the, you know, the whole two months, our team was working at home. One question we asked for our idea plus is what can we do to entertain our fans nonstop that every day they go to the Facebook social media of the bananas so they can be entertained? Not because they can buy anything. Guys, we're not going to sell anything right now. 
that's okay. What are we going to entertain? And the ideas that came out of it, everyone had three or four ideas. And we were posting every day, and our engagement went up dramatically. And all of a sudden, when we had something to sell, it sold out like this. And I think that's kind of a key for our strategy. That's very interesting. Very interesting. I mean, have you had other people come to you and I mean I know you do a podcast I know you've written a book on your on your business philosophy but do you have other people come to you saying okay yeah I'm looking at this can I can I do this in my market can I do this frankly with no disrespect higher up the sporting chain I mean it, 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 have they tried that have they come to you and asked those questions studied you Oh yeah, we've been fortunate. We do fans first workshops here at the stadium. We do webinars. We've had a lot of people travel. I've been very fortunate to have the opportunity to speak all over. And uh, yeah, it's interesting though. This is this is this is the interesting. We hear, and I say this humbly, uh, you know, from billion dollar companies that we'll speak and work with, but from the sports world, dramatically less. The sports world, I'm sure, just like maybe the other owners, think we're a little crazy and that it might not work. Um, so, but yes, uh, I mean. They, they look at how are we doing the marketing things and they try different things and dabble and all you can eat. I don't think that's been every ticket at every stadium yet, but people are obviously dabbling with it and doing it. So yeah, it, it's there's a lot to it. A lot of things have to work well to make it all work, but my thought and everything we do is just test something, just experiment. You know, the best ideas come from outside your industry often. So while the higher leagues, yes, we've heard from, you know, people in the NBA and the NFL and they had conversations, nothing formally, but, um, I learn more from the cruise industry. I learn more from Disney. I learn more from the entertainment shows. And I think sometimes other businesses are taking that mindset and learning from the sports as opposed to just learning from other sports teams always. Who do you consider your competitors? So there's two ways of looking at that. Um, our biggest competitors are uh, Amazon, Netflix, Disney. You know, that, that's it. I don't, so two ways. One, I don't think we have any competitors when it comes to sports. Uh, I think our competitors are anyone that delivers an amazing experience. So anybody right now, if you have an amazing experience, it could be you're at a hotel out in uh, you know China, wherever it is. If that's an amazing experience, that's a competitor. Anybody that's experienced something really, really special, that's who we're competing with because that's the expectations of your fans. Your expectations of your fans could be up to the top level. That's what they're going to want to have. And those expectations are rising every single day. So we've never thought of our competition as any other sports team, even necessarily even restaurants in our community or other places that people go. It's that unbelievable top level experience, uh, the convenience, the Netflixes, the Amazon, how they get things done. That's our competition. Do you think this is transferable to sports outside the US? What do you think? At certain levels, yes. Uh, at certain levels, no, and I think it depends on the culture of the individual uh, country. I think, I mean, it's going to be interesting coming out of COVID nineteen because a lot of the business models holding up the sports industry around the world, the, the, the soccer industry, for example, they're going to crumble because me because media rights is going to crumble. There isn't going to be the amount of money in the game, and that's going to be interesting because you will have potentially sports teams looking to up their fan experience mm. um, in relationship to that. Because if you're not getting as much out, out of your media, you've got to get more in through the gate, right, to make up for it. And they're thinking, well, okay, I'm hoping that sport will become a bit more community-based, what it means to the community in a positive way, in a, in a, in a for want of a better phrase, serious way. And what you're offering is more on the entertainment way. I'm not saying there isn't a social 
aspect to what you're saying, to what you're doing, but it's, it's entertainment focused. And yet I'm seeing a lot of clubs, certainly in England, lower league clubs in, in the soccer pyramid, uh, talking about becoming more um, allied with their, uh, uh, their local government, their local council to offer health and welfare to be a hub for social good within the community. But that's still going to be based out of a match day experience, right? Which still yeah. needs to be fun. Otherwise, people aren't going to turn up because it's supposed yeah. to be the entertainment industry, even if it is sport. So I think there's aspects that can be brought over, but there's going to be a lot of chipping away, certainly in a country like England, to do what you did over here. But it'd be damn interesting to try. <laughs> well, I, I think... I hope it is. I, I hope it can be done. And I think there's gonna be some serious questions that are asked right now. If you can't survive on, if you don't have it, media rights, sponsorship, and the only way you can survive is based on your fans and your experience, what are you gonna have to do to make it so remarkable that you can survive on that? And we've actually did that. We've crippled, we've knocked off arms, the sponsorship, we don't have TV rights, we don't have events to go all in on this. And so I think what it will happen is it will make it will create even bigger fans of every sports team and fans not just based on if the team wins or loses fans based on who they are and what they stand for and if you ask any sports team in the world what do they stand for who they are what's their clear mission i think a lot of sports teams have difficulty answering that question and i think hopefully it'll go back to the fans now we stand for the fans the best fan experience we put ourselves in their shoes and we're going to deliver something that we'll never forget and it's not just based on the sport. It's based on what you're doing on every touch point. I think what was really interesting, what you said there, it links into something I heard you say in a video before, is that I do think clubs do say that they have a specific ethos. They say yeah. it, but I don't think they support it with anything real. Well, not yeah. enough clubs do. What yeah. I've seen you talk about is the fact that you create a culture and then they use stories to support yeah. that culture. And that's really interesting. So just for my podcast listeners, tell me your theory on that and, and also how it can lend itself to coming out of this crisis, for example, because that culture and story thing will be important to mesh together, you know, a reason to turn up at a game. 100%. I mean, I, I believe firmly that every company may have core beliefs, they have a mission, but not many have stories that back up those core beliefs and mission. And we are based on stories. Our fans first playbook that we give out to the players, the staff, everybody that joins our team has stories talking about our beliefs. Because you can say we believe in, you know, putting the fans first. I mean, I've seen a lot of people now say we put the fans first, you know, awesome. That, that is it. It's the name of our company. That's who we are. And there are stories from the players from you know, again, I could tell some right now, but I won't. But I mean, it, there's there's stories that as soon as the players get here, we tell all the stories of how the players put the fans first. When our game day staff gets here, we tell all the stories of how our game day staff put the fans first. And when our front office staff were sharing over and over how they did that, we tell those stories of things that happened during the season, during the year. I mean, literally just two weeks ago, uh, one of our fans online said, oh, man, what I would do for Oreo cookies and milk right now. And our ticket experience coordinator saw it and literally went to Walmart, picked up Oreo cookies and milk, and dropped it off in their mailbox for them. And again, I'm not trying to say that to be boastful, I'm just saying it's in our culture. All right, we say we're fans first, let's start living it, let's start breathing it, let's start doing it. And I think that's a challenge I have for every single sports team. Don't just say you're for the fans, and then every day you're trying to make more sales calls and drive more revenue. Do more things for the fans without actually wanting anything in return other than just to give to them. That's when you really put it in your organization, and that's when all the sales and everything else will take care of itself. And we've seen it. With something like that, when you do the Oreos and cookies in the mailbox, right? 
do you do you make a social post of that? Do you, do you, do you, because that's kind of if you do, it's kind of virtual virtue signalling to a certain extent. Or do you just let it happen? Um, most times we let it happen. There's so many things that just happen that we don't share. Um, if if we can share something that can also build up a fan, and it's a way that we do it, we don't know necessarily want to pat ourselves on the shoulder. Um, we'll tell the stories, but it's not about that. So yes, I think you know, in the bananas for business, for instance, to give an example, our, where we're teaching this, I think our fans first director might have shared that story to give an example on how another business can do it, just like I'm doing it right now. But we're not putting it on our main page to say, look at us. We might use that as examples to help other businesses. Yeah, I, I always advise that to my clients. Do it because it's the right thing to do. Yes, yes. Do it because it's the right thing to do. And you know what? There's actually a huge benefit because if the fan shares it, shares it, it's going to go a heck of a long way further than if the club says, aren't we great? Just wait it for the fan to authentic. share it and don't get worried if they don't share it because when they do, it gives you so much growth. But do it because it's the right thing. Do it because yeah. it's part of your culture. Yeah, really. If you if you want to know if you have great marketing, look at one statistic. Is it shareable? Look at how many shares you have. It's not just like how many likes, how many shares. Because when someone shares something, they said this has so much value that I want to put my name on it and show it to other people. And there's a reason why when we do music videos, we have our fans in them often. Our fans share them like crazy. Like I'm a part of this. Hey, look what I was in. And so you know when you look at that, if if you're just putting something else about yourself, and it's not that shareable, just buy this. That's not marketing. That's not actually being a good consumer of your brand. So that's that's big for us. So that's everything we look at. We challenge our team. All right, that's it. I only got three shares. That had no value for our fans then. And hold them accountable. I know what you say is about attention, not marketing. But yeah. do you think you would be so good at marketing your team if you'd learnt marketing? <laughs> that's a great question. Uh, I think it's a tough question because I think what we do is we learn by doing and we're in that doing and learn. So as far as if I took regular marketing classes, I've never took a marketing class in my life. I developed my own major in college, um, but I have read numerous books and we have as a team about companies doing unique things. I think we're parallel thinkers. You learn about how a company does something and you make it your own and create it your own. And so I think there is a power to learning about ideas and practical things, not just learning about theories of how to market. And so I don't know if that answers your question, but I, I, it's, I don't think about it much in that way. I think about we're gonna try something and we're gonna learn, did our fans want that? So what's failed then? Because you, you've talked a lot about trying things. You must have yeah. had failures and you must have moved on. So what's failed and at what point did you, did you give up on it? Yeah, what's your definition of failure? Um, doesn't give value to the fans, I suppose, because that's what—that's the definition you're using, isn't it? Yeah, then that's then that's fair. Um, yeah, let me see. I mean, in the beginning, when we posted before we started, just posted—I uh, want to call them ads—almost like here's our five-game plan. Buy this, buy this. That failed. But you know, bigger things that failed, like you know, tap of the morning beer festival, a morning beer festival, because you can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning. All right. <laughs> People would say, we sold 125 tickets, and people were lined up at 8 a.m. to buy tickets. People would say, that was a failure. We only sold 125 tickets, um, but then the next year, we leaned in on it, and we sold 800. And we stopped it, but we may bring it back because our fans are demanding it. So it really depends. World's largest tickets. 
We developed tickets that were the size of giant posters. Our fans hated them. They're like, what are we supposed to do with these? We thought it would be fun for people to have posters like, like artifacts that they could save. So, I mean, there's so many examples, but I will never, ever, ever, ever see that as a failure. And here's why, because it's like, because we learned, all, it was like, all right, that's something that's interesting. That was an experiment. What are we going to do next? What are we going to do next? And so uh, I struggle with that question. We put out, are we, when you recycle footage, so again, our example, um, our bananas replay, we posted those the last few weeks, footage from the previous years. That doesn't do that well because fans have already seen it. It's the new, you know, John Spolster said it best. He's the author of Marketing Outrageously. We've partnered on a few things. He said, uh, he said make new a way of life. And so for us, that's a big lesson that we've learned. If you're not doing something new for your fans, then you become irrelevant. If you become irrelevant, you're in trouble. I understand what your concept of what are you the only at. Yes. You know, be the only. I get it. Yes. But if I said that to a lot of football clubs over here, they'd say, well, look, our, our tradition says that we are this. We've got a certain amount of geography. We can't change our name. We can't change our colors. The fans mm. will be up in, up in arms. So... How can you apply that to something so deeply traditional where the fans have a different attitude to sport vis-a-vis -vis entertainment, the relationship between the two? So how do you apply the what are the only in, in for example, football in England? Mm. I mean, the concept of the only is, again, to, see, to control what you can control and what people are talking about. What I, again, I, I don't know football that well over there, but I'm guessing most people, what they talk about is how the team performs on the field. Yeah. Wins, yeah. losses, success. As an owner, that's very scary because you can't control that. You think you can, but you can't. If players get hurt, if things happen, you can't control. You're going to have teams that have good years and bad years. And that's proven through the test of the time from the Chicago Bulls, as good as they were, to the Golden State Warriors, to the Yankees. There's always going to be that. So why is the majority of the focus on what players you're getting? What can you do to control something a part of the experience that's unique for you? So whether it is, yes, I think obviously soccer, you got certain chants, you got certain things where they're jumping up and down, certain things that happen when goals are. What are those experiences that people might not be the biggest soccer fan? They are excited about something that only happens at your stadium. For us, it's very simple. We have certain dances that the whole stadium does. Hey, baby, they come for that. Our breakdancing first base coach were the only one in the country. People come to see the breakdancing first base coach. When you go to your stadium in, in England, you know, why? Like, other than the team, what are they the only one doing? Is it just solely hoping that the team plays a good game? What is that experience? So I would challenge the owners to think about what are those things that are just separate, unique for us. And the way you start is what is whatever's normal and do the exact opposite. A normal soccer game, football game goes like this. What are things that would be dramatically different that would be fun for your fans? And it's okay to get your whole group together and say, hey, let's come up with 10 ideas to do something that the fans would be talking about when they leave. You know, that's how we crowdsource everything. So it is a tough question for me because I'm not as familiar, but you got to start with asking the right questions and focus on what you can control. That's what I learned so much from Walt Disney. He literally started the theme parks because of the way that Fantasia and all his films, they were shown the same way and he couldn't control the theater experience. Whether it was the sound, whether it was dirty, whether it was clean, he's like, I'm gonna create my own experience and control it. What are the experiences that you can control that's different than anyone else? And just finally, where do you wanna take this? Where do you wanna go with this? More teams in one area or bigger teams in baseball or teams in different sports in different areas or what is it, where does it go? 
I fail at this because it's very dangerous to talk about things that you want to do in the future without actually doing it because you, uh, you get the adrenaline rush and you haven't even done it yet. So the adrenaline rush that I'll get right now as I talk about this is we want to take the show on the road and take it all over the world. Uh, we see a vision as the bananas traveling and playing this unbelievable, ridiculous, fun, exciting game at ballparks all over the world. That's where we'd like to take it. We'd like to take the show to the people. And so uh, that's the vision. That's the goal. There's a lot of things you got to find out because the reality is there is no traveling baseball team right now anywhere. The, the logistics are very difficult and it doesn't have the excitement. But we've learned so much here in Savannah that people will travel to us. Why can't we take it to them? And so that's a question that we're going to continue to ask. And uh, and we'll probably test it sooner than later. Well, well Major League Baseball played a couple of games in London uh, last year. Obviously, it won't happen this year. But... Um... Maybe they need a warm-up act. Who who knows? <laughs> we could be the opening act. I like it. We'll be the opening act. That would be great. Jesse Cole, thank you very much. Richard, thank you. You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com.